Disney Animated Cannonball, where today we are looking at 1940s Fantasia. Good evening and welcome to a unique blend of music and cinema. Tonight's symposium begins with the podcast and fugue in D minor. Uh, well, yes, uh, I'm Talon, uh, he, him. I'm Fox, she, her. And, well, this is the third episode, so I'm like, this is not the place to jump in. Um, <laughs> Let, let's try a quick intro, okay? So uh, I'm thinking, uh, she's Fox, he's Talon, she's a Disney fan, he's a media nerd. Let's have some fun. All right, yeah. And and this time, we hopefully aren't going to be just so angry. <laughs> so angry. Well, Jiminy Cricket doesn't feature in this film. Yeah, so. but Snow White, also, I, I don't know if you know just how <laughs> bored I was at Snow White. Oh, wait, yes, you did. You were yeah, there for I the full recording. I spoke to you for about an hour afterwards, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I think I'm aware. All right. So, uh, yes, this <laughs> time we are doing an episode on Fantasia. Sure are. It's the uh, the delightful vintage year of 1940. Yep, uh, where all the composers we want to talk about are, a co- are from a country where we don't want to talk about it. Oh, right, that was kind of a thing, wasn't it? Yeah, like, yeah. Like, basically, every German com- every composer who came up in this was German or Russian? German, Prussian, mm. Russian. There was a, there, and and um, Chopin and Liszt also came up. So it's like there's a whole bunch yeah, of stuff in that French region blokes, yeah. where we where we don't we don't, we don't want to talk about too much. Let's not talk about. And I love that when Beethoven came up, they say he thought about the countrysides. That he knew. Anyway, was like, uh, <laughs> yes, what were those countrysides like for the young German man? Anyway, um, yes, hi. Um, so what we do at this point of the podcast is normally we try and do a challenge to summarize the plot of the movie in 60 seconds. Quite badly. Um, and admittedly, this has been so far uh, made more challenging by the fact that Snow White and Pinocchio wouldn't really have what you consider to be a coherent plot by our standards today. Oh, now that's not fair. Snow White didn't have a coherent plot. Pinocchio didn't have coherent morality. Yeah, but, but the thing is, like, the actual story of Pinocchio feels like it hits the reset button twice. Of like, I Oh, kinda, well, that's true, yes. I, I kind of need to just imperil this little boy a bit more, so can we go back to the start? <laughs> um, um, excuse me. I don't think this is a satisfactory ending. Rather, it comes under Deus Ex Machina. Yeah, in the middle of the movie. <laughs> Twice. Yeah. Ah, oh, that's bad. Okay, this is not the Pinocchio podcast. The point is that Fantasia is deliberately not a coherent plot narrative. They are, in fact, challenging our concept that there should be a plot at all. Yes, and uh, because of that... It's a little different. We can't really do a, the whole thing in 60 seconds because what the, the plot of is in 60 seconds is you sit down and get a music lesson. That's kind of it. So instead, what we thought we'd do for this one. So what we're going to do for Fantasia is because Fox is a massive nerd and... Oh, oh no! He's making it my problem! Yeah, and because I've been looking at the Wikipedia page in the past 10 minutes, I think it's probably best to do it this Oof. way. <laughs> where you are now going to try and correctly list all the segments of Fantasia. There's no time limit, but I will be snarking at you while you do it. <laughs> I'll try and give a brief summary of each one. And uh, odds are I will not remember the pieces of music because I saw Fantasia quite young. This is the first time I heard almost any of these pieces of music. Yeah. Uh, so, but, but, but for context, you did also watch it a couple of days ago. <laughs> oh, no, this is not... I haven't seen Fantasia since I was wee. Okay, good, good. Because I was like, who, who, was the, who was sitting next to me? What else don't I know? Is there another fox? Uh, <laughs> we didn't know how to tell you about this. Okay. 
This is going to get complicated. All right. You know, multiple <laughs> from the X-Men. Yes. <laughs> Where there's one slightly There's always one, one sort of brainless mannequin one who walks into a doorframe or something. Yeah. All right. So your time, your time starts now. All right. So we opened with Staccato and Fugue in D minor. Mm-hmm. Which is their opening, like, absolute music piece. They're yep. not trying to tell a story or even show you an explicit image. Uh, they're just doing abstract interpretations of the music. Uh, and it's lovely. But it does start with a lot of the orchestra just sitting there and orchestrating, which is not lovely. Yep. Second one is... Um, uh, I'm forgetting the name of the piece. Is it the Nutcracker Suite It's piece? the Nutcracker Suite. It's the one suite. with the fairies everywhere and little mushrooms and horny fish and then a bunch more fairies. Yep. By Tchaikovsky. Yeah. Oh, I knew that. No, I'm just... It's like the only <coughs> composer I could have told you, so... Yep. You stole my moment. I did. <laughs> yep. Next up. Ooh, what comes after that? I'm, I'm foundering already. Yep. Um, after that... Is it... We're not just Sorcerer's Apprentice already, are we? Yes, you are. We are! Hey, alright! Doing good. Okay, this is the bit that everyone knows. Mickey is a wizard boy. He does stupid things and gets hit with a broom. Yen Sid is there. I... Why do you know the name of that character, Talon? What else has he been in that you might have encountered him in? In the seminal text, Kingdom Hearts, a story about two boys who kiss. (laughs) Uh... Uh, the Sorcerer's Apprentice was composed by Paul Dukas, and it's based on Goethe's story, uh, Der Zauberhörling. And I apologize to any German listeners. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's another German composer, you know, at, at the root of this. You know, lots of, lots of German composers at this time. Nothing, nothing weird about that. Nothing weird about that. No. Yeah. It's a very apolitical film, I think you'll find. Weird they didn't get any Wagner in. It's a very apolitical film, I think you'll find. All right, what's up next? Oh, shit. <laughs> okay. This might be where I lose it. Yep. Um, oh, it's not one of my favorites. Yeah. I'm trying not to look at my notes because <laughs> that will probably tell me. Um, it's not the sound. No, the soundtrack is after the intermission. Yeah, yeah. You're, no, oh. you, no, you are correct. The soundtrack comes after the intermission, after the but intermission. that's not what's here. Okay. okay, what's here? What's here? What's here? Um, oh, Dinosaurs. <laughs> yes. Rides yes. of Spring. Rides of Spring by Stravinsky. Yes. Hey, he's not German. <laughs> no, he's not. He's a different country we're not allowed to talk about right now. <laughs> then there's the intermission to meet the soundtrack, which you already guessed. Which leaves us, we're almost there. Uh, is, is Pastoral after the soundtrack? Is that yes. immediately afterwards? Yep. Hey, alright. By Ludwig von Beethoven, who was yes, reflecting a, the... the perfectly charming fellow from another country. From near France. Uh, yes, from Europe. Yes. It's European. Next up. Um... Oh, the, um, the, the hours. Yes. The, some Looney Tunes ass bullshit. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yes, yeah, some dance of the hours. Don't know if this crocodile wants to fuck the hippo or eat her, but either way, everyone is horny. Yep. Uh, which is, uh, the music is Hello Mother, Hello Father. <laughs> so, who's, who's the credit for that? Uh, Amilcare Ponchielli, which is really weird. I didn't know why he had a hit in the 60s, but anyway. Yeah, I expected him to have, like, a... Oh, I can't go anywhere with that. Next up. Uh... And then it's Bald Mountain, isn't it? It's, Did I forget It's close. Something? It's uh, not just Bald Mountain. It's a two-part... Well, Bald Mountain goes into Ave Maria, yes. yes. But I meant that piece. So, yes. Uh, this is just some good old-fashioned Satan fun. Yeah. Uh, followed by some very boring church not fun. Yeah. Um, and in, in particular, the text does say it is not the devil. It is Chernobyl. 
Sure, the text can say that. Yeah, that you know, that's not Chernobog, but that's you know that's... the narration is very explicit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, you know, then we what the text? Whole, the, What's the, the text? The the stage direction describes for, for the animation describes the character as oh, Chernobog. Really? Well, it's a fascinating choice that they had the movie state that it was Satan. Yes. Also, they spelled his name wrong. I look. There's 15 million ways. To spell an anglicized Slavic word, so I'm not going to give them shit for that. All right, fine. I've seen it spelt with a T, a CH, and a Z sometimes altogether. Uh, yes. So the composers, but there, by the way, were Modest Mussorgsky. Oh God, Modest Mussorgsky, which I think I'm getting that wrong. I'm going to guess it's Modest, but I can't. Yes, you're right. Uh, <laughs> you're right. <laughs> I can't confirm that. That's just an instinct. Yeah, it's Modest Petrovich Mussorgsky. I have got to stop um, sitting with my hands in front of the microphone. Yeah, and uh, and um. Franz Schubert, which again. Oh, Vermeer Schubert, is it? Yeah, Bavarian dude. Anyway. <laughs> Smooth. So, yeah, that's uh, that's that's our roundup of. Hey, I, one! I guess it's not quite the plot. Yeah, you got them I all. I actually got them all. You actually got all them right. all. Right, I'm proud of myself. Like the closest you came to an F up was the uh, was, was the intermission moment. And even then, you were just saying it's not the intermission. So, I like, you already. almost forgot the dinosaurs. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so, and, and how like could I, said, I forget the di- How could I forget such an emotionless guy? Land before time got nothing on this. Yep, yep. All right, okay. Now, nominally, the next thing we would talk about here is... Um, We're going to talk about some good old-fashioned yikes, right? Yeah, this is the product of its time section. <laughs> That's a nice word for it. Ooh. I have it written down as, what's behind the yikes door? Yep, yep. Because you got to remember, it's not just racism. It's not just racism. <laughs> no, no, it's not. And it's uh, it's not just that it's yikesy. It's that it was so accepted that it could be in the most mainstream of mainstream things, a Disney movie. Uh-huh. Now, um, while we are in the... Because the point is, it is a product of its time. It's not just yikes stuff. So I do want to say, as a matter of being a product of its time, the science in The Rites of Spring is... <laughs> reasonably good for what was understood of the world in 1940. You're jumping slightly ahead of me here, but yeah, I actually had this down as a an, uh, subverted yikes because it's actually more yikesy now because like now I don't think you could put that in a kid's film without attracting just a quantity of controversy that wasn't worth doing it in the first place. Yeah. So like the fact that they could just... That it was uncontroversial for them to just talk about how evolution worked and how life came to be on Earth. Yeah. Without having to do a fucking disclaimer. And a Hoyland model of of planetary formation and all that stuff. Like, you know, it's also heavily abstracted and the timescale is just completely wrong. Like, Oh, sure. Well, it was, I mean, you know, it's a pan shot and now things have evolved into new life forms like yeah. i think we're supposed to take it literally and, and, and even for the time well i mean even at the time they knew that a lot of these animals did not coexist on the planet at the same time as one another but also dinosaurs are cool dinosaurs are cool and like you're gonna you're I'm gonna take the opportunity to draw as many different dinosaurs as you can and surprised how many of those things i did actually recognize Yep. Though, like, this is not just, you know, make up some gribbly shit that lived in the ocean. There are some very but, yeah. specific and, and scientifically you know, important entries, like the Troodon, which is the big flat duck-billed beastie. Yeah, I, was a bi- I was a Bible camp dino nerd. It sucks. <laughs> You're getting into... See, I put all my main subject stuff to, like, just chat about stuff that's not yet <laughs> necessarily yikesy. And uh, my dinosaur section mostly just has, look out, the dino respecter is logged in. <laughs> 
But but yeah, like Troodon was historically very important as a discovery. Anyway, we can we, we can go in more into that. But I just wanted to say, as a product of its time, when it comes to the science, they actually pretty well nailed it for what they knew. Yeah, there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of knowingly a scientific bullshit. <laughs> Or a lot of just that, you know, blind of its time kind of scientific interpretation. Like, you know, well, as we understand, man is the pinnacle of evolution. Yeah, they didn't do any of that. And like they... They, <laughs> they did categorize the uh, the life forms that made it to walking as, what was it, rather more ambitious than the rest. Yeah, and, and that's... that. And like, if you'd asked them what's the most highly evolved <laughs> creature on Earth, they would have said, oh, well, of oh, course, I'm it's sure a human being. Did, but obviously. like, they definitely had racist, horrible views, but they didn't put them in the it's text about, very well. Yeah. It's not about not thinking that. It's about not putting it in the text. All right. So that's that's my one concession to being nice to them about <laughs> the product of its time. I got a, a very early little baby yikes. Yeah. Uh, did you notice anything interesting about the orchestra? Uh, no, I didn't. I didn't <sighs> okay. think I looked at them. Now, I admit I'm just going by appearance. Uh, and I could be misinterpreting something. Uh, that is an orchestra of men. But don't worry. There's two girls because there's two harps. Oh. <laughs> and that is just very <laughs> expected. Yeah. 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 There may have been other uh, female musicians somewhere in that orchestra. I didn't get a clear look at everyone, but uh, from what I saw, <laughs> that was a sea of nudes and some ladies for the harps. And there almost certainly were other women in the orchestra, but yeah. No, no, I, I mean, like, for the actual recording. Like, even at the time, it was very common for, you know. Mm. Um, anyway, so, I, I thought the little baby yikes was going to be the mushroom. No, well, the mushrooms are on my list. Yep. But, um, look, I, they're almost averting it. Almost. I mean, they are mushrooms and you could have made them just mushrooms, but highlighting the... Slitty the eyes? folds under the cap as, as slitty eyes just... You've, thank you, you've now made this into a situation where one uh, can't describe your original intent but for seeing the word Chinaman flash in their mind. Yeah. So thanks for that, guys. And and what's, what's actually super frustrating about this is that ostensibly when you have this traditional garb, which like the, the, the way these uh, mushrooms are represented as it were as Chinaman um, is a very authentic like transposition of something you do see. And it, it, it's like they do the similar thing with the Russian uh, Cossacks and the thistles. The thing is, it it is actually in my mind like, oh, hey, that's a visual translation I wouldn't have thought of. That's quite nice. But then you go, yeah, but do they ask a single Asian person about it? it? Yeah, it's I don't know whether the the dance is at all authentic. Not that. Uh, yeah. Also, I would I would not expect it to be authentic at all. The the traditional. Asian sound, especially in this period of history that we associate, is entirely American-made. Like, you know, the... Yeah, no, that's it's written for an Aladdin play at last year. Yeah, an Aladdin Aladdin movie from, like, just after the song. It's like a white person going, this is what... This is what the Middle East sounds like, and then it got turned into China. Yeah, that sounds Chinesey, actually. Let's just use it for that. Yeah, yeah, it's not good. Yeah. And, like... They're really adorable little mushrooms. They're I'm not, super cute. I'm not here dunking on the mushrooms, but the mushrooms were almost certainly drawn by someone who was a racist. I just wish they hadn't done the eyes. <laughs> the eyes really kill it. They, yeah. <laughs> like, beyond that, you would have been able to be just like, oh, this is 
uh, you know, the shape of the mushroom kind of evokes this kind of costume, which you might, which would lend itself to like this kind of performance or whatever. But the the eyes definitely bring it into just being text. One place they did avert that yikes, uh, the intro to the Rites of Spring. Yeah. Uh, boy, I'm glad they decided not to illustrate any quote unquote series of tribal dances. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I feel like that would have gone real badly, but they didn't. Instead, they chose dinosaurs. Great. Well done. Good choice. I, I have all sorts of beef with the rights of spring there, but we'll talk. Like, that's greater decisions. Anyway. Sure. Yep. I Well, look, it, it was, they didn't write the uh, music. Mm-hmm. Um, so, moving on in my collection from the Yikes door, I have... I it's think a we very, may be going to the same place. It's a very G-rated Bacchanal. <laughs> It's it described. Sure is. It's described with the word Bacchanal. It is. I'm guessing they figured children. Well, I mean, in a lot of ways, this wasn't a kids movie. Though. No, no, this was a serious show for serious men. It's probably why the dinosaurs all die horribly. I don't know. But yeah. Yeah, but like, yeah, the the the, the Bacchanal is not. No, very. I mean, he sort of does a bit of sort of slap and tickle, hilarious sexual predatory on centaur girls. Mm-hmm. But um. Uh, you know, it's, it's, well, I mean, it's a Disney back in hall, isn't it? Yeah. And then... <laughs> I mean, really, a few minutes before that... Yeah. I mean, we are absolutely fucking awarding a yikes to some zebra centaur girls, who are, of course, the only black centaurs that we see. Uh, they're zebras, because they're, they're not the same species as the other centaur girls, if you know what I mean. Uh... Yeah, I they I mean we are watching the the modern revision of this film where they cut out the like overt servant girl black centaurs. Yeah. Uh but I don't know why they bothered to do that and not take out those two with their like oh god everything about them even with the the tribal costumes yeah. and the coconut bras with nipples just right there on the front. Yep. Uh, I they're have very yikes. And I actually had something even before them. Oh, is it the same as the thing that I had? Let's find out. Possibly. Uh, you might notice in this movie, the centaur women uh-huh. are uh, getting themselves ready. Yes. They are making themselves pretty. They certainly are. The dudes just show up. They just show up. They just show up. That's a bit of a yikes. It's not quite the same as mine. Go on. Well, I don't know if you noticed, but, uh, and, and you know, maybe this is entirely innocent, but somebody should have thought about it, really. Uh, the centaurs all also pair up according to color. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, you, there are blue couples and green couples and yellow couples and red couples. And that is... just everyone is is somehow, somehow destined to find happiness with the person who looks the most like them. Yeah, so my next bullet point is color coding to prevent miscegenation. So, yeah, there yep, we go. Yeah. yeah I, I thought you'd get that. We, we were at the same spot. There's also another point I have, which I think is worth going into later on, about, uh, again, this movie's relationship to capitalism, which makes sense because Walt Disney was very much a capitalist kind of da- kind oh, of guy. Oh, sure. But anyway. Kind of a capitalism superstar, really. Yeah. And, and beyond that, the only other big yikes is I had after this point that weren't just repeating the same themes of women as objects... Um, was that there's a bunch of hilarious fatness and yeah, well. Yeah, I'm still not sure how to feel about that. It's, I mean, there's a line somewhere between making fun of a fat lady ballet dancing and making fun of a hippo ballet dancing. Um, like a hippo ballet dancing is inherently funny. Yeah. A fat lady ballet dancing is not. And I feel like that piece sort of flip flops over that line a bunch of times. 
dance. I would point out that there are no male hippos be- uh, ballet dancing. Well, yeah, but there's no male anything ballet dancing except for the crocodiles. So they do have male ballet dancers. They do have the conception of male ballet in this space. And when they want to make a ballet dancer who looks ridiculous, they choose a hippo and she's femme. I'm just saying, like, you know, it does feel like it's making fun of fat ladies to me. But also... They have Bacchus. They, so they have Bacchus in the previous section, who sucks and is fat. And is a, they do love big old babies, don't they? Yeah, it's very funny when people are babies. Lots of unnecessarily detailed bum jiggle. <laughs> well, yeah. See, that's the other thing. I feel like the hippo section is just absolutely delighting in the. <laughs> I thought you were about to say hipposexual. <laughs> Well, that's uh, I, it's not the reality I laid down, but thank you for joining our improv. <laughs> God, sorry. <laughs> I'm so sorry. From from an animation point of view, um, I, there is a great delight in being able to uh, play with that kind of rubbery mass. <laughs> Um, so there's a lot in, in that section, which is like, yes, there's definitely fat jokes at work here, but there's also just the degree to which the animators are enjoying working with this volume. Yep. Um, that doesn't redeem it, but it's definitely a, a factor in choosing that kind of, uh, character. Those kinds of characters. I mean, there's an entire herd of elephants as well. Uh, anyhow, I think that's all I've got for yikes. What about you? Uh, that is actually most of the small stuff I ran up for yikes. There's a there's a little bit more. Did you leave out a big yikes? Well, I, I, it's it's nothing. It's nothing in that kind of category. It's more that hey, here's some stuff about the way this whole framing works, rather than uh, necessarily about holy crap, look at the racist zebra unicorn. Sorry, zebra centaurs. Oh, so we're going to talk a little more about themes as we as we go through the pieces, are we? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So now. Next up, we have the very weirdly dubbed, and I feel I feel like this guy's name was a typo. Deans. Deans. Sure, okay. That's that's his name then. That's his name. Yeah, the the presenter, the guy in those intermission sections who just seems like he's coming from a booth. Um, yeah, he's Deans Taylor. That's his name. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if his dialogue was recorded over afterwards, or if there's like an issue with this soundtrack seeming to be slightly desynced with the visuals. Um, Maybe that's how he talks. Maybe this is a weirder uh, speech impediment. <laughs> some guy. He's actually a robot. Uh, but yeah, I, I did not care for his presentational style. I don't love that accent in the first place. Something about it sounds very smug all the goddamn time. He was a 1940s <laughs> man. I think that's exactly what it is, yes. I, it's a bit of me that just reacts to that defensively. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also just the dialogue that they had him saying a lot. I... Like I said, I saw this when I was quite young. I would have been like eight or nine kind of thing. So he was the boring bits. He was the ad breaks. Yeah. There's like every time this guy showed up on stage and he has a very annoying habit of narrating the things you're about to see before you see them. So like, I hope you weren't expecting to be sort of surprised by any of the shit that goes on or anything. Yeah. Boy, is he going to tell you what's going on and how to interpret it. Yeah. Uh, And I just want to shut up. Shut up and let me watch it first. Then you can give me a fucking media studies lesson fuck off well so deans did at one point say something that i think is very powerful and very good said that uh which is it's surprising how wrong an artist can be about their own work i got that in my notes too but it might be for a different reason well the thing is that in itself that sentence isolated from the rest of the sentence 
is a really good point. Um, this is something Isaac Asimov was was shaken to consider that someone else had taken his work, interpreted it, and found a meaning that he didn't put there. And he says, "Well, I wrote it." And he says, "Well, what does that mean? I'm like, what what special right does that give you over what?" what this story means to ah, me. So you're thinking in an author is dead sort of way. Yeah, and it is entirely 100% possible for creators to create work and then completely miss the, uh, the the secondary meanings or the things that they put in their work that all connect together because uh, the, the phrase movies aren't made, they escape. It kind of <laughs> applies to a lot of other media projects, such as, for example, in the Disney production Kingdom Hearts which seems to want to make itself hypothetically about a very heteronormative world, but overwhelmingly has been spending years piling up giant, <laughs> giant statues of these two boys about to kiss. <laughs> I'm not an expert in Kingdom Hearts, but the that that sure, whole franchise yeah. sure makes a lot more sense if those boys are into each other. I, uh, I, I like that you think they're not doing that on purpose. That is certainly another question. Well, I think they're really stupid. <laughs> Like, I think... Just record scratch cut. Yeah, no, actually, yeah, let's cut that. Yeah. Um, but Deems then follows that up with saying, because his other work made so much money. It's like, well, fuck off. That's exactly why it was on my list. How dare you say that someone was wrong to prefer their other pieces yeah. to this thing I didn't really enjoy because other people had a different opinion. It's, you wanker. It's so... Achingly capitalist. It is. Uh, <laughs> I don't like it. And, and we're going to get more into that now. Uh, were there, is there anything else you have in your yikes box? Oh Rummaging no! I'm, around in the corners. I don't. I've uh, rooted out everything behind the yikes door. Okay. Now on and the now note, we're putting it in a box and locking it away. Now on the note of technical stuff, was there anything you want to talk about with the animation? Yeah. Well, I get it's the nature of Fantasia that I have a lot of notes which sort of veer into that, but don't really belong there. Yeah. Um, well, rather than giving you a single coherent blob, we can just talk about that as we go <laughs> through the whole thing. I, I think we should. Um, but overall, like this is a fascinating film from a technical standpoint. Um, not because that much of the animation is so unusual or exciting, but because of the nature of of drawing to fit a soundtrack. Um, I mean, you sort of do that as an animator in that you are probably syncing to a voice recording first, but that's a totally different thing to designing uh, an animated piece to fit with music. Like, that's, it's a lovely idea. I'm glad they did it. Seems to have turned out well. Uh, like, later I'm going to ask you to hazard a guess at this thing's outlay and budget. Mm. But it was pretty successful. Um, for a more in-depth examination of that, um, where I believe it's... What you're, summarize, what, what you're saying, I believe, summarizes as Fantasia, the animation, is to the audio what audio is normally to the visuals, which is to say, effectively, Fantasia looks like a soundtrack. <laughs> Yes, that's a great way to describe it. And who described it that way? That would be Sideways, the YouTuber, who I do recommend going and seeing his piece on that. That's one of the reasons why I don't want to talk too much about the music, because largely I know that there's stuff I know because Sideways said so, and yeah. I internalize it, and I don't want to just be spouting off someone much more successful. Well, points. we're not here to critique the music anyway. Exactly. Neither of us is a technical music expert, and everything I know and love about music is entirely based on intuition and... Uh, being trash who loves four chord songs. Yeah. So uh, she's got some fucking '90s pub rock. Never mind that. So setting aside that, <laughs> so go go check out sideways anyway, stuff. Um, but also, I was just gonna say uh, along those lines, I was also gonna remark on just the fact that they like they open it with the the noise and the ambiance 
of the orchestra getting ready. Uh, and, well, there's a, a slightly more jarring bit where they have, uh, like, a physical accident with one of the instruments. And I that's an interesting choice. But, like, the, the deliberate choices they made to keep the orchestra as a presence mm. in the movie, uh, which... Oh, gosh, I would have enjoyed that if we'd had that rather than the presenter. <laughs> while, while repeatedly breaking the reality of the visual. The, yeah, the reality yeah. of the orchestra is persistent, the visuals are uh, transitory. And that's really interesting. Um, and I, I do really like that they did that, especially because it's... I mean, I have only a tangential awareness of that. I've not been to a lot of live orchestral performance. Perform- I've been to a few. Like, enough to know that that's... That that is the authentic sound of, of what's going on because you know you've got to tune shit up you've got to scuffle around and yep. work stuff out and uh, there's there is a delightful authenticity to that and I like that it speaks to the presentation of this movie as a concert yeah uh, rather than a feature film kind of thing um, and thing I would bring up uh, again in the vein of like this is just beyond me to really talk about as far as technical achievements Fantasia was the first uh theater theatrical film release delivered in stereo sound and to deliver this they invented a sound format called fantasound i'm not an expert in fantasound i don't really understand it i understand that um originally recording audio was done with one channel of sound right now i'm recording on two channels of sound and the fantasound system used nine channels of sound. Oh, originally recording of other films. I think you meant the original recording of this, and I'm like, one channel, what? No, 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 no. You no. can't magic it into being nine channels. For- this doesn't happen. No, no, no. Mo- movies before Fantasia were recorded one gotcha, channel. Gotcha. Even if they used multiple mics, it was all going into one channel. Right. And in the case of Fantasia, they instead split all the audio across nine channels they had a sound engineer whose job it was to keep track of a metronome for animation timing there was someone whose job it was to just mute mics as they weren't doing anything to prevent any um ambience (laughs) it's it's an enormous technical achievement and when they were done with recording all of fantasia they had 90 miles of audio tape (laughs) wow that's comparable to the amount of film shot for Lord of the Rings. That's brilliant. So, yeah, like Fantasia was a technical, amazing marvel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is... We are not well equipped to talk about what's really so interesting about Fantasia. So uh, go check out better sources than us for technical stuff. We will inevitably be linking some of them. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so now we're going to just take a little cruise through these pieces and uh, remark upon anything we found worthy of remarking upon. So I have one big thing that's going to work for the whole set of a whole bunch of different ones of them. So I'm going to save that till the end. Instead, let's just cruise oh. through them fairly quickly. Okay. Uh, well, let's see. I think I've already made my opinion on the first one clear. <laughs> yep. That orchestra bit goes on for so long. Yeah, we're going to put a little asterisk here. Of like, you know, I will be referring back to this later. <laughs> um, I really did like the... I always really like the abstracted parts of this. They are delightful to watch. Mm. Um, but just watching the orchestra in big one-color segments is very, like, eh, over yep. this. 
Oh, though I am really curious to know, um, like I'd, I'd love to talk to someone with uh, synesthesia. synesthesia. Yeah, that is exactly find out what if I... those colors actually check out. Yeah, yeah, and, and the thing is, uh, as I understand synesthesia, it is personalized but trended. Yeah, that's that's my uh, impression too. Yeah, uh, obviously neither of us experiences this. No, I understand there are some drugs you can take. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm not. Look, if I'm going to get high and watch Disney movies, there are much softer drugs to start with. <laughs> And wouldn't you see something really trashy, like you'd watch Hercules when you were high, right? Absolutely. Well, I mean, you know, not not having any experience with getting high, I assume that's where you'd start. <laughs> anyway. Okay, so next up we have the Nutcracker Suite, during which we have, again, another asterisk is going to go here, and I'm going to come back to that. <laughs> oh, okay. But. <clears throat> is it, boy, howdy, there's a lot of Barbie doll nudity in this movie? No, but you're right, there is. There's definitely a lot of Barbie doll nudity. Yeah. And I mean, I guess that's kind of like the connection to art. Like it's, it's seen as artsy to have, you know, elegant nudes as opposed to merely prurient nudes <laughs> that people are going to like looking at. I mean, I like things like fairies and whatnot being nude because they're like, you know, random expressions of nature in mm. this context. They're not really human person-y type things. So Another asterisk. Be, yeah. They don't fuck. They shouldn't have any kind of sexuality going on, whatever. That's cool. Uh, I like them. The centaurs is, is a lot weirder because mm-hmm. um, they want to fuck. Uh, For the weirdest reasons, like, oh, a flower in your butt. <laughs> it's oh, well, so do it. She's got doves in her hair. Hot. Yeah. <laughs> so we're getting up to... Do the doves watch? <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. Um, I... What am I saying about this? Uh, it's all very pretty. It's... Uh, definitely riding right up to that line of being totally twee, but for me it lands on this side of it, and I really like that. Like, this is a kind of flower fairies depiction I can enjoy. Uh, lots of dancing. Yeah. Lots of dancing plants. Yeah, and well, the, the Nutcracker Suite is is a very energetic, dancey kind of... I mean, sure, but there's... I, I may be a little bit disappointed how often they just chose to animate things dancing to the music instead of things happening to the music. We're going to talk about that later. Yeah. like <laughs> That's a secret weapon that'll help us later. <laughs> if you want Talon to do his Mickey voice in the intro, you should definitely message him. Um, <laughs> ah, you fool. I'm not going to release this until after it's all done. <laughs> oh, no. That's like a Netflix binge. And also, of course, as I as I promised you last week, uh, boy, is there some horny fish in this piece. For you. Yeah. If you if you want to let your fish make bedroom eyes at you while uh, dancing with obviously like Dance of the Seven Veils, uh, uh, slightly exoticist, uh, yeah. uh harem imagery, then good news. Other countries have strippers. <laughs> Not America, though. No. No, no. Yes, it's a cultural dance. <laughs> Let's get out of this ocean. It's full of weird horny fish. Ed- Edward Said would have a field day. Uh, let me say I love the frost fairies bit. Um, the the spreading ice from yep. uh, on, on the surface of the ice and everything. Those, I don't know how hard those are to animate. They seem like they'd be real hard to animate. Yep. Because <laughs> boy, is there a lot of motion going on there. And, um, and there's also a lot of, like, fractal math. Yeah, exactly. It's a lot of motion in a lot of really fine detail, which you'd normally, you know, appreciate the chance to avoid producing if you had to draw everything. Yep. But it looks great. I'm glad they did. Next up, we have the Sorcerer's Apprentice. Consider a very big asterisk. Okay. Do you want to talk about any of this? It's just me talking right now. I know, but that's because I have, like, a big central thesis about all of oh. these parts, and I'm going to go through and, like, you know crunch them down at the end because otherwise I'm just going to be 
and also, and then you interrupting to talk about your <laughs> things, and it's just going to sound like a going to okay. make me sound okay. like a dinghole. Okay. Um, Mickey's fur is interesting. Um, <laughs> he's made a great face at me. They're like, "That's why would you even bring it up, Fox?" Um, <laughs> like a well, dog that licked a lemon. Here's the thing. Uh, there are much. Uh, uh, do you remember in Snow White how I remarked upon the the shading on black surfaces being done oh yes with a different technique than the paint they're using on on yes. those cells? Um, you would expect Mickey to get that since he's black. Uh, he has black fur in you know most prominent areas, um, and that's also one of the things that makes this look really dated. They don't do that anymore. Um, I assume they use digital paint for cells in in uh, more recent movies, but whatever that technique was, they they chose to use something else relatively soon uh, in the chronology. Well, I say relatively soon, but in relatively few movies' time. Well, I don't know which exact point. I'm going to keep an eye out for that now. Um, <clears throat> but they moved away from that technique, and I was expecting to see it on Mickey. Uh, yeah. Yen Sid has it in his hair. Yeah. And it's not even that dark. It's just a dark grey. Uh, but Mickey, interestingly, doesn't get any shading no. on his black fur. Which, uh, like, paradoxically makes him look less aged yeah. than the other things in that short. And that is weird and interesting to me. Yeah. Um, and, and like, there's a there's the point in the short where they have to show all the, um, all the, um, um, broomsticks falling back together again and it's just a crossfade they just crossfade chunk of wood to whole ah uh, uh, well that's another thing we're gonna get on to shortly let me tell you okay <laughs> um other than that uh one thing i really like about sorcerer's apprentice is they use increasing abstraction to show things getting out of control so things you get less detailed backgrounds you get more big block colors you get starker shadows yeah um and it all does a really good job of contributing to the idea that shit is getting real. Uh, you know, it's it's not exactly revolutionary, but it's something that if you're not used to analyzing the visuals in these things, you might find be a fun note to check out. I hate it, by the way. You hate it? Sorcerer's Apprentice? Yeah. Oh, of course you do. Then it's another it. moralizing thing. Yeah, and it's about a child drowning. So, like, yeah, just a ah. whole, whole bunch of levels in which I yeah, just that's, utterly... Yeah, that's rough on you. Yeah, you just despise <laughs> this cartoon. <laughs> Uh, do you want to talk about it independently of the asterisk? Are there other notes you wish not, to make? Not leave really, on this not piece? really. It, it gets it gets to kind of be the central piece of the asterisk. Okay. Okay, and so next up. And now we're on to Rites of Spring. Uh Rite of Spring. Okay, uh so I do have one point here. Oh, sorry. Uh just before we get on to I think it's before we get on to Rites of Spring, I think it's right after Sorcerer's Apprentice that they have Mickey come on stage, right? Yeah, yeah, they have him thank Mr. Skokowski. The yeah, the conductor. Yeah. I can't remember. Stokowski. Stokowski. Right. I knew you were close. Um, which I bring up only because, um, like, obviously they, they wanted to be careful about this. They had him in silhouette. I assume that means they weren't totally confident about, uh, like, fully animating him. But they did a pretty excellent job of it. Yeah. Um, the and, tug on the coat, the flip of the coat. Yeah. And I'd love to know where that places in relation to other interaction of animated and photographic stuff because disney was super interested in this uh in the old days like i mean you know song of the south happens and mary poppins happens and all that kind of shit i think you'll find mary poppins happens i don't know what else that other one i've never heard of that other one (laughs) i doubt it's on disney (laughs) plus i doubt it's got zebra centals in it yeah that one's just one big yikes door Mm -hmm. anyway sure um 
but yeah, I, I, I'm going to go and research that later. Because uh, I'm now quite curious to know, like, was this the first time they tried that? Was this sort of their pilot for, can we do it convincingly in silhouette? Mm-hmm. Uh, therefore, can we do it convincingly for real? They obviously used it a lot after that. It's a shame Bedknobs and Broomsticks isn't in Disney animated canon. Oh, we might watch it anyway, just because I like it. That's, anyway. It's not exactly resoundingly popular, but I love that one. Look, I'm an Angela Lansbury fan. It's going to happen. Oh, anyway. I'm going to do it. All right. That's on the list. All right. Uh, now we're on to Rites of Spring, yeah? Okay, yeah. So Dinosaur time. So I'm not going to go hammering in on every type of dinosaur you see. Um Ooh. Ooh, 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 Professor Dinosaur. Yeah, it's one thing. Um, what's the what's the cute little one that's like pinching eggs and it's just like a little nugget with like a big bone face. It looks like a dodongo or some crap. I love it. It's, a, it's my chunky little boy. I like it. So that critter is called a Canameria, and it's not a dinosaur. Oh no, it's a type of creature we call a therapsid and. Paleontologists can out there correct me. It might be a diapsid because this is now going off memory. Oh, uh, this is um like Dimetrodon. Yes, like the- like Dimetrodon. Okay. Uh, the category that often gets referred to as uh, mammal-like reptiles or reptile-like mammals. Um, <laughs> it's, is that we don't know which it is, or is that it's both? It's what? Well, there is an argument. Cool. And this gets all cladistic. Yep. Um, notably, that's not a dinosaur. I uh, it predates dinosaurs. It's older than everything you see in here. No. Well, it's a technical error, but it's still my boy. Also, it would not have been stealing eggs. No, not a, not an. Uh, uh, from what we can tell, called ovivore. Uh, oh, yeah, an, an egg, It's not egg a nice eater. word. Not elegant. No. Um, but what you and, and and indeed there there are a bunch of oviraptors that are shown there, and we now know that oviraptors probably actually weren't egg stealers. Um, but again, look, your science marches on, time marches on. It's fine. Yep. Um, but uh, with the little um uh, canameria, it was part of a whole category of animals that basically developed a body type that worked, which is to say little hippo-like nugget and stuck with it. And they were all about... Ah, like a little rhino. Yeah, they were about three meters long. Okay, they were like a rhino. Oh, yeah, yeah. That thing thing was big, like a big full-sized ox. Um, And its head was about about a third of its body mass. So it's just this massive shovel-like head. And it would use it to um, attack and eat some of those new newfangled developments on the block these days which is to say barked trees oh he's a cute little vegetarian yeah so he's got a shovel for a face yeah basically and and most of its categories were semi-amphibious semi-amphibious things that ate water um plants and land plants now here's the thing that'll f up everyone who's ever watched a dinosaur movie dinosaurs predate flowers i knew that yeah no dinosaur so like ferns and shit yeah no dinosaur ever saw a flower so, well, I mean, until you get to modern birds, and that's a whole thing. Oh, and yeah, Dylan, that's so sad. Yeah, I'm sorry. Like when you phrase it like that, it's just like it sounds like some kind of you know ah, no dinosaur ever saw a flower. Wow, that's so deep. Is so like a metaphor or something? No, no, I mean shit was just ferns back then. Yeah, angiosperms. Wow. Angiosperms didn't evolve until after we got um, dinosaurs. So, yeah, that's the thing. Also, at this point in history, um, bacteria, when, when Kenamaria was running around, bacteria to decompose trees hadn't evolved yet. So there was just a bunch of logs lying around. So from that animal's perspective, it's like the world is a feast. Wow. That's... <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's very weird to think about. Yes. <laughs> Do you have, like, a bunch of really good, like, wood fossils and shit? Oh, I see. Yeah. Um, bracken, bracken forests. Uh, most oil. 
is not broken down dinosaurs, but is instead broken down millions of years of wood just lying around. How does it break down if you're here? The bacteria evolved and then was like, who boy? Oh, there's a very plentiful food source. If something could eat this, it would suddenly do very well. Yes. I see. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I guess our science lesson is over. Uh, There is one other thing I would throw in on science lesson, and this is because this is genuinely a mistake, uh, and they should have caught it. Um, The T-Rex they show is very stylized. Yeah, this was obviously like at a high point in the, it's like a repeated T-Rex PR cycle where it's like, oh, it was the the most badass monster thing ever. Now it was a sissy little baby. Oh, it was pretty cool. We shouldn't be so mean to it. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm going to let go. Poor T-Rex, man. I'm going to let go popularity. I'm gonna let go of things like it has a like T Rex has a fairly boxy head. It's 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 bigger and more lopsided than you think, which makes it actually kind of like a dorky predator. But the big thing is the creatures they showed had three fingers, and yeah. T Rex had two. And you know that's just the kind of detail that just stands out enough to bug me. Anyway. It did have a very square head though. Oh yeah, but it did still have a sloping brow in a couple of the shots. Anyway, it's not it's not a huge deal. It's very forgivable. Um, so what we've learned here is that T Rexes are cute. Kinda. They have two fingers and square heads. Yeah. Oh, it's like they're out of Minecraft. And they're just a great big mouth on legs. <laughs> they're like fizz gig. That's my brand. Now, um, also. <laughs> I, did you catch the bacteria resetting its animation cycle? Yes. Early? Yeah. yeah. There. Um, There's always something like that. Well, you're making an enormous number of illustrations. Absolutely. I'd cut, cut the corners you can. Every single corner. Make it round. I don't care. Um, and, you know, it's been like four or five viewings and 30 odd years yeah. before I spotted it. So I'm, I'm not going to ride them too hard. Um, now, there is also another thing, and this actually kind of bugs me because of the music. Um, Rites of Spring is about rebirth and rejuvenation. And this thing yeah. ends with the massive downer of, and here's a national, here's, here's global extinction and a flood. That, that is a huge downer. Yeah. Such a bummer. And just a little bit of a biblical rider to something which was a pretty good science piece. Yeah, and, well, and to be fair, at the time there was this general view of like, maybe the flood actually happened and there's a kind of a compromise for Christians. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Also the, like, the implication that it all happened during an eclipse, which is, I assume that's also a stylistic choice rather than then trying to say this is why yeah. there was a, a cold period. Yeah. The sun was blotted out for magically long. <laughs> And to be fair, the sun was blotted out for a very long period because Not of, by the moon, though. Yeah, well, there was a celestial body involved. <laughs> anyway, yeah, it, it's a it was a anyway, celestial impact the likes of which um, uh, the world, as they understood it, did not recover. So, you know, and we found the crater. Anyway, so... I did not know that. That's yeah. fun. <laughs> it's scary looking. All right, so what I'm getting is go check the latest in dinosaur news. It's fun. There's always a bunch of fun dinosaur news. Um... And there's a Tyrannosaurus Rex that has a Twitter account and you can follow her. Debbie, I think her name is. She's, she's the actual, um, she's maintained by the museum that owns the single largest intact oh. T-Rex skeleton and she tweets. Oh, she would never have three fingers. No, she has the right number of fingers. Right. Anyway. And uh, doesn't eat Stegosaurus. Yeah, so that that one there, that doesn't fit into my star category. There's no asterisks in the Rite of Spring. <laughs> uncontroversial, un- uncontroversial, maybe kind of dumb. It's fine. They did a really good job for what they were trying to do. I do wish they hadn't shown me hundreds of dinosaurs starving to death. Yeah, that was deeply distressing. Especially when they'd say, especially when it's not like, oh no, something's bad's happening to the cute dinosaurs and now something's okay again. It's not like, no, it's just something <laughs> no. bad's happened. Something worse has happened. It's, They're all dead. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Look at that T-Rex getting his comeuppance for eating that innocent stegosaurus. Yeah. Which you also see die twice. 
It does die twice. That's the other one. Yes. Yeah. They just like replay the. I guess it's because the music did the same thing, but it's like yeah. I'm pretty sure it's just the same actual sequence. Incidentally, that thing on the back end of a Stegosaurus is called a Thagomizer. Thagomizer. Yep. Yeah. Named after the late Thag Simmons. Anyway. So I've heard. Um. There, there's the intermission, which novel. I get it. They needed it. It was a two-hour movie at the time where that was not a thing that was heard of. Yeah, you can definitely feel that it's that much longer than the other ones, can't you? Yeah, yeah, it, it, it's very different. Like, we budgeted more time to watch this movie and then podcast about it, and we didn't have the time to podcast about it, which is why we're talking about it the day afterwards. Oh no, the magic of editing is being broken before you! I can't Woo! remember anything about it anymore. My brain has lost all the things. Yep, um, but anyway... Uh, I do yeah. think it was cool in general that this used a bunch of uh, like live special effects technology, mm-hmm. um, which is really apparent in the the, the Rider Spring. Like that's when it first starts to become like, oh, I see, we're just gonna do like you know overlays and like that's cool. That's that's fun to see. So here we have a completely not asterisk related, just genuinely positive thing oh. about the pastorals. I think that the Pegasuses being modeled on swans. I had that in my notes too! Great. Yeah. I really, really like that. It looks natural. It looks like it makes sense, even though you can obviously go, it's a effing horse. This is dumb. (laughs) But the whole sequence, how they land, how they fall up, it looks natural and that's amazing. That's that's the kind of thing that animation can do. And I love that, like, that obviously comes from the horse neck and the swan neck being, like, they form a lot of the same shapes and it's easy to animate them in the same way. So that's, yeah. like, something you would notice if you were studying the movement of these creatures. And yep. it's, like, a lovely thing to have come out of it. You see a lot of Pegasus just being horse and fly. Yeah. Um, but you don't see a lot of Pegasus being horse and bird. Yeah. Um, so it was really cool. And there's a lot of, you know, bird-type habits as well, which is very cute. And the little black bear. Oh, he's a cutie. Yeah. Also, he's used as a dick. Oh. <laughs> eh, well. I mean, it's a... What do you want? It's an it's... accurate depiction of Greek gods. Yeah, it's Greek gods. They're all assholes. <laughs> Dicks. Useless. Drunk. Horny. Or a woman. <laughs> oh, yes. It's true. The women don't have personality. The, there are two female gods who appear and they're just like... Yeah, okay. They, they, they do things. Whatever. Apollo. Uh comparatively has no personality it's yeah just, there's like the three of them are just like yeah well we're like your forces of nature kind of you know bring day and night or whatever kind of gods to be fair apollo as shiny himbo works <laughs> anyway i liked um i liked vulcan um just being like you know <laughs> well i'm just making these for funsies Whee! yeah it was Yusu was actually being mendacious with the Thunderbolts. Yeah, yeah, he just he just seemed to be making them for fun, and then he was like, ooh, I get this one. <laughs> also, you'll notice that Vulcan uh, is shown throwing his, and you'll notice the object of it. You know, to the target. Yeah, yeah. He just and he finds it funny. <laughs> like, yeah. you don't know what he does with it, but, you know, it doesn't make a point of showing you, so you can assume Whereas Zeus everything. was like, fuck this guy in particular. Yeah. And this guy, and this guy. Fuck all of these guys, but in particular. All right, next up, uh, and at this point my asterisks fade out. Um... <gasps> Dance of the Hours. There's only one piece left, isn't there? There's two pieces left. Oh, there's two. Yeah, well, I don't know if there's much to say about Dance of the Hours that we haven't already done. No. It's it's (laughs) kind of all covered by, gee, wow, fat jokes. (laughs) Also horny gators. But also I've always been fat and I love this piece. It's it's just a lot of fun. There is such detailed, saggy bag of jelly ass animation. (laughs) It's very funny to watch. Uh, And it is, like, it is... Funny fat 
funny cause feminine but fat, but it's also like, you know, I it it may be an object of comedy that I am fat, but I can also stomp the life out of you if I wish. <laughs> and there's something appealing about that too. There's a um there is a, a a subtext to this which is not intended at all, but just by knowing what I do about hippos versus what Disney wanted to convey about hippos, <laughs> it does paint the image that everyone here is participating because if they don't, the hippos will be mad. <laughs> that I mean the the lady hippo is kind the sorry the the queen the the central main character hippo is definitely like the main character of this yeah like she sticks around well after her hours or over yeah absolutely um you, but yeah I I I too have a line in my notes that just says this is a bunch of crocodiles you don't know what hippos do to crocodiles yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you're in, if you're in Africa and you're worried about crocodiles, look for where the hippos are, but don't get in the water. <laughs> All right. Um. Then there's uh, Bald Mountain and Ave Maria. Right. I kind of don't have anything. <laughs> this is just really fun exploration of animation kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, until Ave Maria stuff. This, this this is almost as it were the purest soundtrack in the context. Like, they actually use the term absolute music to refer to Takata and Fugue at the, at the start, yes. which is, this is, this is absolute animation. <laughs> it's animation for the sake of animating some. Yes. And that's why there's lots of different methods being shown. There's lots of different exploratory ideas being tested, like the way that the town melts under the shadow and the way that the souls are moved. Like, those souls look to me a lot like that is a liquid, uh, like a slightly liquid cell. Like they've done something to soften it and then dragged it around instead of animating the object. Yeah, I don't actually know the technique. I, I definitely think that's an overlaid. Uh, like it, it looks like they're waving a piece of cell or yeah. something like that. Um, and I don't know if that's done using some kind of solution. Uh, one would assume you could not put a liquid over a painted background. But yeah, well, that's something we probably should have researched before the podcast. So we'll just have to marvel at the mystery for now. Woo! Not but knowing I, things is special. I do believe that is is definitely one of those things in my list of like effects you normally see in live action films. Yeah. Uh, and it looks pretty fucking cool. Like, uh, normally you'd be like, well, that looks weird and not at all like it belongs with the rest of what's going on. But if you happen to be doing a bunch of ghosts, yeah, yep. that works. I'm here for it. Uh, yeah, boy, they just loved animating some gribbly, horrible gremlin things doing dancing. Yep. I don't know what's in it for the gremlin things, I must say. Like, they sort of uh, frame it as if it's all these things are like having their evil, sinful, wicked, cajoling fun for Satan's entertainment. But, uh, like, they don't seem to be having fun, really. Yeah. I don't know why they're you getting know, chilling smushed out with this. <laughs> and weird. unsmushed and turned into hot girls turned and then turned girls into goblins. Who are horrible dancers. Yeah. Like, well, you don't want to make them too hot. I get, well, yeah, I mean, you know, I'm sort of, uh, you know, expecting some Heaven's Light Hellfire kind of stuff, and then they're just kind of like, eh, uh, yeah. I'm broken. What I'm saying is Chernobog says trans rights. <laughs> I, what? No! <laughs> There's, um, also, I, I don't know how many naked ladies you spotted in all the flame effects around that segment. But Enough. That, yeah, there was definitely a naked lady Rorschach test going on there. There's a certain degree of, um, of, of serious art has nudes if not sexual things. oh yeah totally and you know it's a it's a moralizing satan piece so yeah that's where the titties come out you're definitely allowed to show naked ladies as long as it's for bad reasons yeah um anyway yeah and i understand the point of shifting into ave maria is to like violently contrast with that and like suddenly everything's lovely and peaceful but 
The sequence from that's very interesting. It's because Ave Maria is one of the most boring, soul-destroying pieces of music ever composed. <laughs> oh, I, I, let me let me disclose. It's not that this section of Fantasia sucks. It's that Ave Maria sucks. <laughs> well, the animation is also pretty dull. But yeah, I suppose sure. if you're taking animation strictly that's, from Ave Maria for the animation. That, that's the thing. In the same way that this is the, the music of Ave Maria, <laughs> the, the visuals of Ave Maria... Ave Maria sucks, so this animation section is going to suck too. <laughs> just looks like visual chloroform. I don't like Ave Maria. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, yeah, during the, the end of this, you turned to me and said, this this is auditory chloroform. Yeah. And I said, this is visual chloroform. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's, it's, oh. yeah. And like, I like a lovely, slow, serene bit of animation, but this didn't do it really. All right. So you now is this the way I, is this where I bring, gather up all my asterisks and get going on it? Uh, yeah. Okay. So, 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 so. Fantasia has two big problems. Now, one of them is the Sorcerer's Apprentice, which I want to go in on pretty hard. (laughs) But also, there is the attitude that this is a magical vision of nature, except it is all a magical vision of nature if nature was human and capitalist. (laughs) So the best example I can have for this is in the uh, in the Nutcracker Suite. You will see numerous times where flowers do not dance as flowers. They dance as humans would dance if humans were flowers. Yeah. And that is to say replicable, repeatable, consistent performance ways. The dances of the thistles are dances done in formation, in procession, like as a performance for a audience. You have the same thing with the swirling um, uh, uh, lilies in the pond, and the consistent image, and this is not to say this is like inherently a bad thing, it's just that when asked how do flowers dance, they said people. I, I mean, I sort of agree with you, but also flowers don't dance, so... Like, if you want to have them dancing, I I actually rather like the idea that they took the flower forms and looked at them for what you could cleverly turn into aspects of a human. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a lot of what humans do with everything around them. Yes, it's anthropomorphizing, and that happens throughout the whole of the... particular of that particular scene in the nutcracker the 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 work of the dew forming is put into the hands of a agent that is like a human going around and putting the dew on and again this isn't this isn't to say this is like a bad thing and the fairies are bad it's just everything is viewed in terms of man imposing onto nature now the second place this shows up setting aside Sorcerer's apprentice that's behind the door um is in the pastoral suite where the, the centaurs are putting on makeup, and that makeup is presented as just natural byproducts of natural objects. It's little bits of fruit. It's um, uh, it's lily pads, and all the all the decorations of fashion, and all the things that we do to create modern fashion and textiles, and and like at the time, the synthetic um, makeup industry that was booming at this point is all presented as being as natural as what naked nature spirits are doing in ponds and what. And so there is this way in which the uh, manufactured identity of women, CF, Shearer, Chess, Ready Player Two, um, is it's... <laughs> she gave me a look for that. Um, I've never heard someone say an essay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the 
uh, constructed identity of womanhood as capitalist commercial product is presented as being inherent and natural and simply functionally part of the world. There is no, no, the, the idea of putting strawberries on your lips to make your lips red, which doesn't work. Um, no, I think we've all tried that. Yeah. Um, is seen as just something that they do. It's not like, oh, I have a bright idea and this will always work. No, it's, it's, and they all look made up and they all look decorated in this way. This is just like, these two sets together build a bridge to me of this idea of like, fundamentally the mindset of Disney looking at nature is to look at it as an industrialist capitalist man. Which, that's not really a big reach. <laughs> well, no. And uh, looking at nature to find points of commonality with i think is not an objection thing no it's definitely not and it can show me a lot about what you value and what you care about the makeup thing does kind of bother me as well yeah the flowers thing does it's uh though i do i am weirded out by the flowers being such as they are because we've got fairies then flower dancers then weird horny fish then flower dancers, then flower dancers, then fairies, then flower dancers. And like they're recurring visual motifs kind of thing, but they seem quite incongruous with one another to yeah. me. Um, I guess because they're both anthropomorphizing nature, but in like completely opposite ways. And then there's a horny fish. <laughs> yeah, I, I think to a certain extent we are also watching a bunch of music videos. So there's going to be a degree of weird abstraction and that's... Forgivable. Yeah, no, I mean, if d different pieces being so different, I have no objection to. It's the fact that they're all presented as one one piece in, in Fantasia that yeah. makes it a little weird to me. Okay, and now, with all that said, The Sorcerer's Apprentice. Right, yes, tell us about that. So this story sucks. <laughs> this, this story sucks a lot. Uh, can I hazard a guess as to why this story sucks? Go for it. <laughs> because the basic moral of it is don't try and make innovative solutions to thankless busywork that is imposed on you for no reason other than being thankless busywork with the idea that it will teach you a lesson. Yeah, yeah. Essentially, this is classic <clears throat> Protestant um, suffering and labor is its own virtuous value. Bullshit. This is... Um, modern days, we would say this is anti-automation. At the time, it was anti-industrial. There's a whole bunch of uh, focus on objects as having inherent value and worth. The destruction of the broom is treated as a sin. The music <laughs> treats it like he just murdered someone. And then the return of all the, the animated brooms is treated as itself a, a, a punishment for a crime when what he did was effectively turn off a machine. Um, or maybe wreck a broom, which, you know, that's a bad <laughs> thing, but is it worth dying? And I mean, I don't, I don't think it was framed as a punishment for doing harm to the broom. I think it was, uh, framed as an escalating consequence of trying to, of, of having set in motion this sequence of events that was beyond your control. Yeah. I don't think it was like, you killed a broom, now there will be many brooms. I think it was, well... You, in the story's estimation, looked for a quick and easy solution and you can't get out of it that easily. Which yeah. is, I mean, hard agree that the 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 uh, overall moral of this is... Yeah. Um, Yen Sid's uh, power is shown as being directly incarnated in an object, which is also a sign of status. 
Um, the second Mickey sits down, he falls asleep. <laughs> right. I mean, he's been working very hard. Yeah, we Doing have... a task which we have no context for. And to go back to the blue fairy from Pinocchio, who created him sick and then demanded he be well, Yen Sid clearly has the capacity to handle all of this stuff. And there is no reason why he needs anyone to go and gather water from the well upstairs. At all. There's there's no reason. He's a wizard who is shown as demonstrably able to handle the sorcerer's bro- sorry, the brooms. So the only reason for this system to be set the way it is, is to make Mickey have to gather water. And at that point, especially with the way that the rest of the thing is framed, it's like, well, he's got to learn to carry water. Uh, oh, yeah, definitely. Like hard overtones of, you know, you need to learn your place before you will be wise enough to learn magic. Yeah. It's like the exact same fucking every magician's apprentice story ever goes like that. It's like you have to do some menial shit before you can do cool shit. Why? Ah, uh, something about well, no, really, it's just to put you in your place. Yeah, it is it is straight up classist bullshit. Eat the yen Sid. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, ha- hey, I hate this so I'm much. I'm down with this. Uh, <laughs> I did have one other note on Sorcerer's Apprentice as well. Yeah. Uh, you know the sequence where he's dreaming and he's conducting the stars and everything? Yeah. Do you remember seeing that a million times on Disney Home Video? Yeah. I just find it's funny that they use that as a, a promo in which it represented their masterful command of magic and delight. And the context for when they made that was... Here's Mickey fucking up yeah, and he, dreaming about doing something else instead. He's going to die. <laughs> All right. It's, uh, well, it's not exactly ironic, but it is funny in an unexpected way. So that's my big stuff. Yeah, cool. And All now, right. because we are going way long on this are one. Doing lightning round? Let's do a lightning round, but please, let's keep it super quick. All right. I can do that. Eyelash watch. No, but no, none of the boys in this film had eyelashes except for the ballet dancing crocodile when he was making bedroom eyes at the hippo. Not even the black pegasus. Not even, oh. Actually, I don't know if the black pegasus is a boy. I was just reading that into them. I think it's very implicit in the sequence that that is the father of the pegasus family. Hmm. And the narrator does describe it as a he. Hmm. Uh, but I don't remember having eyelashes. It did have no, red the little eyes, black pegasus. which is a bit creepy. Oh, the little one. No, the little ones didn't have a... I expected them and the satyrs and the uh, cupids to all have eyelashes, but they don't. Okay. I was watching. This has been Eyelash Watch. Eyelash Watch. All right. Let's follow that up with weird pronunciation watch for this week. The presenter says dinosaurs. Yeah. And that's very strange to me. It's an unfamiliar word, but yeah. Wow. Moving on. Uh... Oh, that's less fun. I had a note on him at the beginning that was, you have two first names, but apparently he has one first name and one not name, so <laughs> whatever. Uh, uh, Nutcracker Sweet. The very first sequence where the, the fairies are, like, opening up the flowers, there is one fairy who's, like, full-on getting up there, and... It's a little yonic. <laughs> it's, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's all I'm gonna say about that. Yeah, and if you don't know what yonic is, Google it. Look it up. Centaurette is the worst word ever. Oh, yeah, what the fuck? <laughs> what the fuck, presenter guy? The word for a female centaur is centaur, and the word for a non-binary centaur is centaur. Also, hi, Fennel. <laughs> <laughs> we have an authority. Uh, next one. There is a centaur girl who whips herself to try and convince her lower half to flee from the oncoming storm. That's upsetting in many ways. Yep, there's a lot of stuff going on there. Uh, I just have a note from the pastoral section also that just says, Hi, Ripton. Uh, 
Wow, they are so very obviously the inspiration for the gods in Hercules, aren't they? Yeah. It's kind of cute and funny. I like it. This is one of the best things about Hercules, legit. Like, the god designs were fun. Yep. Uh, there are a number of spots uh, where the presenter is standing next to members of the orchestra who are just trying to make an unobtrusive off-camera face, but occasionally they just look disgusted. <laughs> I'm sure it's just like... Resting, uh, 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 what would I say? It's not even, it's not even bitchy. It's just like, eh. And uh, I choose to believe that, especially in the case of the harpist standing next to him making that face, it was just, man, this guy. <laughs> this guy. <laughs> I have a lightning round entry for Chernobog, if you're a coward. <laughs> <laughs> We're weirdly fond of Chernobog. In this household, we respect the Slavic god of junk drawers. <laughs> we do, but that's not him. No, that is Satan. That's straight up Satan. Don't, don't try and fucking pretend you didn't just make an animated short about Satan enjoying himself. You goddamn cowards. <laughs> you extremely Christian capitalist cowards who also, want to pretend that your vision of reality is normal, neutral, and standard. Correct. Also, if I find out that that song is, like, the myth that goes along with that is, in fact, talking about Chernobog or Chernobog or... Yeah. Boggy. I told you there's a lot of ways to say that. Boggy flats. <laughs> Chen. Jenny. Uh, uh, if, if the lore there is, if, if the folktale is that it's supposed to be a mountain where he's trapped and they have just described him as Satan for the purpose of this narration, I'm going to be even angrier. Uh, the opening section makes a point of how this is an abstract piece that could be about anything, but then they impose one very specific set of imagery on it that is all Christian's association with colours and clouds. Like the opening section where they, uh, the Takata the and Fugue, yeah. they basically make a Christian parable out of the visuals. I don't really agree with that, but that might just be because Christian imagery is so thoroughly ingrained with uh, cinematic language as it's expressed in the in white person deal. Yeah. Let's charitably call it that. That's fair. Uh, and my final note is just, I am not here for Ave Maria in English. I don't hate that song, uh, but if you're going to sing What's it... What's wrong with you? I feel... you, you Once again, you goddamn coward. Sing it in, <laughs> sing it in Latin. Because also just the lyrics are super boring in English. They're not particularly poetic. They don't rhyme. They're not especially powerful. They're not clever. There's nothing there. It's super boring if you translate it. Don't translate it. Just sing it in Latin. No one will ever know. Yep. Uh, and to finish this off, Talon, would you care to hazard a guess at what they spent to make this and what they got for it? Okay, so like, I'm not going to give you a number because this is 1940s dollars. I have no earthly clue. This is a period of time where you <laughs> could buy a house for minimum wage in a year. It's true. And the numbers I have are not adjusted for inflation. And yeah. also I'm going to say I don't have the international, mm -hmm. I don't have the worldwide gross for this, only domestic. I do know that this movie was in theatres from 1969 to 1980 in one of its runs. <laughs> this movie had a theatrical run, one of its three theatrical runs, that was 11 years long. Yeah, I remember when they used to just put films back in cinemas all the time? Yeah. So, so like, that's a thing. Um, but I'm going to guess... You can give me, like, a percentage if well, you like. Well, yeah, that's the thing. I'm going to guess that for every dollar spent, it made five. Mm. Ooh, you're being very conservative there. Holy mackerel, really? 
because like this is a Disney this is a Disney production. I'm going to assume this cost like sixteen million dollars to make at this period of history. Oh, uh, you got to remember. You well, I mean, once again, it's not adjusted for inflation. Yeah, true. But uh, they, you know, they didn't know whether these were going to be huge yet. They were still being relatively. That's a good point. We don't even have a Disney logo at this point. Surely we do. I don't Oh, remember. I gotta go check now. I, don't I remember, think you're right. I don't remember it on any of the oh, three movies. So and it's still being distributed by RKO, RKO, so. Well, that's different. That's a distributor. Yeah, that's the that's equivalent the of that would be Buena Vista now. But that's the logo you see. Sure. Anyway. Um, so, okay, I, I pulled a big number, but clearly not that. But, so, let's say ten times. <laughs> uh, well higher than that, even. Wow. This... Wikipedia has this costing them two point three million to make, which is fairly astronomical for a, a budget of the time. Yeah. yeah, Snow White was like one point three or something like that. So like that's effectively doubled. Yep. Um, but their domestic box office take for this movie was seventy six point four million dollars. Gross. Yeah, that's extraordinary. I mean, it's no wonder like they made six more movies in finger quotes that were were more of the same just with varying degrees of high art fraughtiness uh i do know it took them 42 days to record all the music yeah <laughs> and they did. and they did it all at once because setting up all those microphones in one space that was sound controlled was itself an enormous yeah. task so it's not like you could go back for reshoots doesn't seem like it'd be fun yeah well well that was fantasia that sure was. That was a long one. And I believe next, uh, we're looking at Dumbo. Uh, which is, this is going to be hard for me, I'm not going to lie. This was my favourite movie. Uh, when I, This is the first movie I ever remember being my favourite movie. I saw it when I was that young. I loved it that much. Uh, and it's not a very good movie. <laughs> yeah, but I also don't anticipate having any reason to want to kick this one down the stairs. Oh, don't get me wrong. The Yikes door is there. I know it's I, there. Look, I look forward to next episode, which is 10 minutes of racism and 40 minutes of animal cruelty. 